gang, this week's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Hey, LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free now at linkedin.com slash good seats. That's linkedin.com slash good seats to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now here's our show. Blue collar, a shot and beer place. But today, it is a city with a new image. Not steel mills, but steel and glass skyscrapers and almost 3 million people. And during its 20 years of transition, Pittsburgh has remained an avid football town. The Steelers of Mr. Art Rooney, Harris, Green, Swan, and Bradshaw are household names here. But now the city has begun a romance with the Pittsburgh Maulers of the United States Football League. One of the six expansion franchises in 1984, this afternoon the Maulers are making history. Their first game in Three Rivers Stadium is a paid sellout without promotions or giveaways. More than 57,000 tickets sold. It came as a surprise. Not even the president of the Maulers expected a full house. Well, we're a little bit surprised that we were able to sell out. Some people are. Uh, there were various predictions as to how many season tickets we would sell and how many people we would have at our opening game. But we were able to, early on with our marketing surveys, identify a, a, a demographic of people who have been precluded from season tickets in this market, obviously because of the Steelers. The Steelers began to sell out in 1973, and if you wanted to see them live, uh, you couldn't do that. The Maulers were not an immediate box office attraction. Stadium lease wasn't approved until late November, and by early January, only 6,000 season tickets had been sold. But things changed dramatically when owner Edward DeBartolo signed Heisman Trophy winner Mike Rozier to a multi-million dollar contract. Rozier gave the Maulers instant acceptance, instant credibility. Suddenly, there were long lines at the ticket window. 5,000 season tickets sold in a week. Advertisements urge people to buy their way into future sellouts now. Flashy television commercials said the same. It's coming. March 1984. USFL action comes to Pittsburgh. The Maulers' historic first season at Three Rivers. Call 642-2067 and be a part of Pittsburgh sports history. Today's sellout in Pittsburgh and the Mauler sale of nearly 20,000 season tickets is quite an accomplishment for an expansion franchise. Right now, the Maulers are a curiosity. But if any town is willing to support a team built around one big-name player and a coach whose name is Joe Pendry, it may just be Pittsburgh. The question is the same in every USFL city. It may be easiest to answer here. Will Pittsburgh support the Maulers? Welcome to Good Seats Still Available. A curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. Hey now, how's it going, everybody? It's your pal, Tim. And uh, yes, indeed, you have tuned in to the only show that we know of that uh, spends its, uh, its week focused on what used to be in professional sports we like to call it Good Seats Still Available. Welcome to the proceedings. Thanks for finding us. And um, we uh, do indeed hope that your quote-unquote new year, doesn't feel so new anymore, uh, is going okay. I think okay is uh, just okay. Uh, it's uh, it's probably the new fantastic, this okay feeling. Uh, and it's okay to feel okay, I guess, given all the stuff that's going on around our crazy world these days. Hope you're staying safe and healthy 
And uh, I hope you're still uh, uh, hopeful about uh, pro sports and all kinds of sports and that kind of stuff. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a linchpin, I think, for, uh, for uh, us and uh, our little world here that we've cra- crafted for ourselves as we look at uh, things that used to be defunct and previously domiciled and, and relocated and all that kind of stuff. And sports, uh, you know, we miss it. We have missed it. We don't want to see it go away or get locked down again. Uh, and one of those things, interestingly, this week uh, is actually something to, we think, look forward to. We've kind of hinted at it and had a couple of conversations about it, uh, but it is the uh, rebirth, if you will, or at least the borrowing of previous name from the thing known as the United States Football League, the USFL. It's coming back in some interesting form or fashion owned by <clears throat> Fox Sports and going to be domiciled in Birmingham, Alabama, we think, come March, April, a couple of months down the road, uh, lasting through, I guess, the beginnings uh, of the early summer. And um, that's our conversation this week uh, around actually one of those teams. Now, I thought it was interesting, uh, the eight franchises that uh, they've resurrected for this new USFL. Uh, I understand Birmingham, the Stallions, of course, where they're going to be housing these uh, eight teams for the entire season, sort of in a bubble kind of fashion. Supposedly, they're going to go into the actual uh, cities that are that are named, uh, perhaps next year or the season thereafter. We'll see. Houston Gamblers, I get. I get the Tampa Bay Bandits for sure. The New Jersey Generals, for various reasons, a name that you uh, remember and, and maybe perhaps want to bring back. The Michigan Panthers that won at all one of those those seasons. Uh, the Philadelphia Stars that won at the other two seasons in the USFL. But uh, and and the Breakers, I guess the New Orleans version, although that was an interesting franchise to bring back, given that they were domiciled in three separate cities in each of the three different USFL seasons. Uh, New Orleans being, I think, the second of those. Um, And that's the version they brought back. But the curious uh, eighth team in this uh, new resurrected USFL is a head scratcher. And that's our that's our focus this week. It's the story of the original Pittsburgh Maulers. Now, it's a curious, if you remember your USFL history, uh, the Pittsburgh Maulers were literally a one-and-done franchise. Um, They only lasted the 1984 season, and we're going to get into the reasons why uh, they were not an original franchise, but uh, in the second year of the league, and uh, also why they didn't carry on for the third and ultimately final year. Uh, With our guest this week, Tom Rooney, Now, if that surname sounds familiar to you, Rooney, well, it it ought to, right? Especially if you're from the Pittsburgh area. Uh, As the uh, uh, Tom's last name implies, uh, yes, definitely related to the legendary Rooney family of the Pittsburgh Steelers fame. Uh, As a matter of fact, Tom uh, was uh, the nephew of the great uncle, Art Rooney, the founder, president, and longtime owner and family um, uh, uh, entity behind uh, the legendary Pittsburgh Steelers franchise. And Tom uh, has been running uh, Rooney Sports and Entertainment for for many years uh, and uh, has a wealth of experience. And and as we get into our conversation, uh, was part of the Maulers' uh, one year of existence in in upper management, working for the DeBartolo organization. Edward DeBartolo and uh, and uh, Steve DeBartolo and and the, and 
very uh, uh, well-known and um, uh, deeply rooted in Pittsburgh lore, uh, not only in sports, but uh, as a, a mall developer, real estate. Hence the name we'll get into into our conversation. Maulers, a play on that name. Interesting choice of words, I guess. Um, but Tom uh, regales us with some fascinating uh, bits and pieces of the story of, of how Pittsburgh got into the uh, into the mix, into the USFL. Hint, hint, DeBartolo <laughs> wanted to make it happen. Uh, Tom getting a job with the DeBartolo organization, actually at the insistence of his uncle, Art Rooney. Uh, and interestingly, once DeBartolo's uh, 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 sights were on getting a USL franchise, putting it in Pittsburgh, uh, the uh, elder Rooney not taking very... Um, uh, nicely to that, oh, to the point of almost feeling like he was kind of stabbed in the back by uh, a Pittsburgh USFL franchise kind of interloping on the football uh, heritage, if you will, of the Steelers organization. And this actually became a real issue as, uh, interestingly and, and uh, ultimately erroneously, the USFL uh, gear shifting into becoming uh, a challenger to the NFL with a fall season, at least envisioned for 1985. Uh, that um, even became more bitter uh, uh, in terms of uh, Messrs. Rooney versus DeBartolo. But uh, along the way, this story of the Pittsburgh Maulers is is an interesting one. Uh, it's uh, uh, full of folly, uh, full of curiosities. Um, it, it, from the very beginning, the very first home game at Three Rivers Stadium uh, on March 11th, 1984, uh, a little bit of a hint there with Jim Lampley from then ABC Sports and that clip that set this that sets this up for us. Uh, that was a little bit of a sort of preview this before the actual game actually happened uh, as to how Pittsburgh would uh, would take to this new USL franchise, uh, the league itself as well, being such a Pittsburgh and NFL uh, city. Um, as we now know, it was the only sellout in the Maulers' brief history that that game against the Birmingham Stallions. And uh, depending on who you ask, uh, it was either because of curiosity and, and a brand new franchise. It was Mike Rozier, uh, the franchise player, uh, and uh, people basically uh, wanted to come and see him uh, do his thing in the USFL, uh, not unlike a Herschel Walker or some of these other uh, big names that were uh, drawn into this league. Uh, I think a lot of people, though, would say they kind of showed up to um, uh, throw snowballs at Cliff Stout, who was quarterbacking the Birmingham Stallions and the uh, longtime backup to Terry Bradshaw in, in Pittsburgh. And uh, not many Pittsburgh fans sort of lovingly uh, uh, welcoming him back, so to speak. And um, just the uh, the opportunity to kind of uh, unleash their um, dislike and um, make life miserable for Cliff Stout. So, uh, but just, that's just the, the scratching the surface and a lot of just fun and interesting and curious and humorous and not so humorous little stories uh, with uh, Tom Rooney talking about the original Pittsburgh Maulers, God almighty, uh, of all the franchises to bring back, maybe the Washington Federals, maybe would be the other head scratcher. I'm glad they didn't do that per se, although I thought the Washington Federals logo was great, but they too were uh, quite the, um, shall we say, challenged team. The Pittsburgh Maulers uh, finished with a 3-15 and 15 record, for God's sakes, and uh, by the end of their run, I think their last game against the Bandits in June of 84 uh, they only drew 16,000 and change rumbling, rattling around there in Three River Stadium. Um, and we talk about Three River Stadium before we get into it. Um, 
Uh, we want to thank uh, Dave Finoli, uh, our previous guest, talking about uh, um, the Pittsburgh Civic Arena. Um, there is a book uh, out. Uh, it came out. Actually, it's uh, about two years old now. It's called Three Rivers Stadium, A Confluence of Champions. It is written by uh, the same entity that came together to uh, create that civic arena book called the Associate, excuse me, the Association of Gentlemen Pittsburgh Journalists. Doesn't really roll off the tongue that easily, but it's a wonderful name. And uh, Tom Rooney has a little chapter in there, not a little chapter, a pretty significant chapter about the Pittsburgh Maulers in this great book that talks about the Pirates uh, and the Steelers and various concerts and other kinds of events that happened in the uh, legendary, I guess, some might, you know, all multi-purpose stadia I'd, uh, you would call as uh, legendary, but certainly have tons of memories for Pittsburgh sports fans, for sure. Three Rivers Stadium, uh, a confluence of champions. That's the book. Uh, we'll tout that at the end of the episode. But um, that's the excuse to have uh, our new pal, Tom Rooney, here on the big show, uh, talking about the Pittsburgh Maulers of all things, the original version. It's coming up in a few moments time. All right. So let's celebrate, shall we, with some commerce. Uh, and some sponsors this week. Uh, and remember the one year wonder. And I put wonder in quotes, of course, of the Pittsburgh Maulers. Uh, so how about a few sponsors that uh, might uh, indulge you uh, and help you reminisce uh, in uh, high fashion, shall we? Let's start with 417 Helmets. 417helmets.com. That's 417, the word helmets.com. Collectible helmets and more. That's uh, our pal Judd Lasher. And um, if uh, you'd like to find and, and get a uh, beautifully crafted in that sort of uh, off uh, kilter purple with uh, orange and white stripes and and that cool uh, Pittsburgh Mauler logo on a mini helmet, a Riddell, or I think it's Riddell or Riddell. I never knew, knew how to pronounce it. But the 1984 uh, mini helmet in uh, Riddell or Riddell uh, fashion, uh, it's it's high quality stuff. The, the it's It's about as... Um, a game ready as you're going to find. It's just the fact you can't put it on your head because it's a mini helmet. But in terms of its quality and uh, its hard plastic and uh, and and uh, design, it's it's the real thing. It's the real McCoy, and it is yours at 417helmets.com, as well as all kinds of other tons of cool, uh, customizable and collectible helmets. Uh, and a promo code for you there at 417helmets.com. The promo code is Good Seats, and you're going to get 10% off all of your purchases there. So check them out. Uh, once you're done there, head on over to streakersports.com. Streakersports.com, they are the purveyors of sports culture. And you will find not just one, but two, count them, different approaches to uh, great, high-quality T-shirts featuring the Pittsburgh Maulers. One is a nice, uh, gorgeous purple, light purple, uh, with Pittsburgh Maulers' name emblazoned on it and the that hunky steelworker uh, logo guy uh, in the middle. And then the other one is more of a sort of an off-white uh, with a uh, Pittsburgh Maulers um, uh, 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 lettering on there with the helmet featuring said hunky uh, steelworker guy. Uh, and that uh, that helmet, of course, is in purple with orange trim and, and all of that. Um, two great uh, shirts uh, amongst the, I don't know, seemingly hundreds of awesome shirts from all kinds of sports and leagues and memories from sports at streakersports.com. Promo code there is good seats. And you're going to get 15% off all of your purchases there. And last but not least, spin on over to our pals at RoyalRetros.com. That's Dustin Alameda and friends out there in beautiful Portland, Oregon. 
503 Sports, they call themselves the king of throwbacks, and rightly so. Uh, RoyalRetros.com, 503 Sports is the sub-brand, and that was what they were previously known as. But there, not only are you going to find a, a couple of t-shirts devoted to the Pittsburgh Maulers, but also your chance to get a custom-made, authentically crafted, and highest quality, of course, Pittsburgh Maulers USFL jersey. Uh, get your name on the back, your number, whatever you'd like, the logo and all that stuff. Comes in the uh, uh, home purple or the road white, or is it the other way around? I don't know. I'm sure they mixed it up a little, but all sizes and, and uh, uh, styles that you might like uh, with the official 503 Sports uh, USFL uh, throwback logo in there. And again, that's royalretros.com. Uh, and uh, your promo code uh, there is SEATS, S-E-A-T-S, for 10% of all of your purchases there, including that awesome-looking Maulers USFL jersey. So can you imagine getting yourself this jersey and then hopping on down to Birmingham and watching those Pittsburgh Maulers games? You For sure, you will get on those Fox television broadcasts or those NBC television broadcasts uh, because you'll have a Pittsburgh Maulers jersey. How many of those are floating out there? Uh, guarantee to get you on television as you go to watch a few Maulers games there in Birmingham this inaugural second version USFL season coming up. All right, let's uh, continue to get ready. Let's uh, enjoy the conversation. It was a wonderful one, a fun one we had just last week with our new friend Tom Rooney. Let's talk about the original Pittsburgh Maulers, shall we? All right, USL football, USFL version number one, football coming your way. Let's go back to Pittsburgh. Here's our conversation, please. Enjoy. The stories of old, you think they're sort of uh, dead and buried or rediscovered or unearthed, and, but they keep coming around again in some way, shape or form. And no more curious than the uh, supposed or at least uh, attempted reincarnation somewhat of the USFL, a league that only existed three plus years itself and had a whole host of issues and challenges and uh, and debacles, if you will. And the, the highest of irony, right, was when uh, the original announcement started leaking out that uh, the guy behind the Spring League was going to sort of get some of these uh, logos and these trademarks and all that kind of stuff. And lo and behold, <laughs> one of the teams of the eight chosen of the, I don't know how many teams there were in the life of the USFL, maybe 20 or so, you would choose... One of perhaps the most lamentable franchises, no no disrespect to the our friends in Pittsburgh, but the Pittsburgh Maulers were not necessarily on the top of people's minds when, uh, you know, looking back on the USFL's original history. But yet here they are reincarnated again. So let me ask you this question. How do you feel about that? And maybe we can go through some yeah. of the drama and help you out. Sure. Thanks. Well, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the logo. And of course, the logo uh, ended up being a really popular animated, you know, TV commercial with us. So the the guys behind the, you know, the reemergence of the UF, USFL or the rebirth probably looked at what they thought would be the best logos because, you know, maybe that couldn't translate into uh, merchandise sales. But, you know, um, you know, the USFL, the one we remember in the 80s, wasn't a bad idea. I mean, spring football as a development league, when the idea first came out, I remember saying, you know, NFL Europe's failing, you know, but the idea of a spring development league is, is still a really good idea. And I think it could have uh, evolved into that 
But, you know, there were certain people, and one of them being a former president of the United States, that was very heavy handed with, you know, his own desires of what, you know, he wanted to do. And that's been well stated in, in a number of books, including the One Buck League and others, you know, where they just right, tried to force their way, you know, into a competition. I, I guess they thought it was the AFL, you know, and NFL back in the, you know, in the early 60s. But I, I you know, um, I, I think. Again, I think a development league could be a, a good league. I, I envision it as you know being in cities where there weren't NFL teams because uh, there's plenty of those. But even in a place like Pittsburgh, I mean, we sold over twenty thousand season tickets. Uh, but our problem was as soon as the decision was made to go into the fall, which they never really did. You know, they 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 sat out the spring and we're going to go into the fall. Well, once they lost the lost slash won the antitrust suit because it was a one dollar, you know, judgment, uh, then, you know, then it was over. Well, let, let's let's back up a second. So why don't you maybe tell our audience a little bit of, of some of your history with with sports uh, and in particular in Pittsburgh, because um, most people who are downloading and listening to this episode this week will recognize a, a surname that um, perhaps seems a little um, um uh, memorable, curious, and uh, and there's a wonder whether uh, uh, there's a relationship there. So uh, I'm sure I'm not the yeah. So yes, ask. I yeah. I I was ra- I was raised in the uh, football Rooney family. My dad worked in the ticket office. My brother was a scout. Um, I end up you know not following uh, sort of the family business. I had a lot of opportunities, especially in the the racetracks they had, because I actually started my career in in uh, the horse racing business. But uh, I ended up working for the DeBarlow Corporation, um, and we were taking over privatizing the old Pittsburgh Civic Arena in 1981. We had, you know, the Penguins and, you know, soon to draft Mario Lemieux, and we had the indoor soccer, and I was responsible for everything from heavyweight championship fights to concerts to, you know, to, to wrestling to roller derby to you name it. And, you know, the idea of doing USFL team, we, we had done market research, which we always did, third-party research, and you know, our um, our recommendation to Mr. DeBarlow, who, who who seemed to be very interested in doing the USFL, was that he not do it because we felt that, you know, there would be too much pressure on stuff we were already doing. You know, the time of year, the games would be in frigid, uh, you know, conditions in most cases, and then we'd roll into the start of baseball season. For all those reasons, we decided not to do it. But there was only one vote, you know, <laughs> and that vote was by Mr. D. We call him Edward J. DeBarlow. And he felt, and he said later on, that he felt that, you know, if it was going to come to the market, Pittsburgh was his market, and he had to protect, you know, his market. So um, we did, you know, we, we did very well. We didn't have a very good team. We, we had the um, misfortune of, of signing Mike Rozier, but Mike had been injured in the Orange Bowl and, you know, no chance to rehab, came right out of college football, Heisman Trophy winner, and he was injured. He was damaged goods by the time he got here. And then, you know, we had a series of other, um, you know, uh, personnel mistakes. And, you know, but we were all set for year two. And, you know, we were ready to, to stick it out. But once the, you know, once the league decided to go into the fall, you know, then that, that, was, that was just going to be it. You know, that was not tenable, you know, for anybody. And that's why the league doesn't exist anymore. But um, I, um, I enjoyed working, you know, the name Mauer's was picked before we even really had a chance to have a name the team contest because, uh, you know, Everett J. DeBarlow was known for his malls 
You know, he had some 80 around the country, his shopping malls. And of course, somebody said to him, hey, wouldn't it be cool to call the team the Mallers? And, you know, they, you know, they used the, the, um, you know, the mall, the swinging mall, which would have been used in the, in the steel industry and the iron industry. And that became the name of the team. Well, let's back up for a second, because um, so I think for our audience, it's it's under uh, it's important to understand this. We're talking about Ed DeBartolo Sr. Uh, versus Jr. Obviously became a sports guy in, in his own right. But but at the time, right, you, you mentioned Pittsburgh as being his market. Well, certainly for the for the stuff that you were involved in, for sure. But on the football front, he was already entangled, shall we say, with this little team in the NFL called the San Francisco 49ers. Right. Yeah, and but you know they had multiple in, entities, they owned racetracks, and you know they were able to say Mr. D. Senior owned the Mallers, you know Eddie Junior, you know owned the Forty ers different corporations, and you know nobody really, you know, kind of thought that it was, you know, it was, uh, it, it wasn't the greatest argument, but I guess it it sort of won. So that's you know, um, you know, and of course, you know, the Forty ers were just beginning to, you know, win their five Super Bowls, right? That was you know, in the eighties and, you know, um, Bill Walsh had come and Joe Montana from Pittsburgh, by the way, had come. And, uh, so he would, you know, he was busy with that. So we, we ended up, you know, uh, you know, in these, in those days, teams in the NFL and MLB mostly played in multi-purpose stadiums and, you know, where both baseball and football teams played, um, obviously in opposite seasons, except for maybe in September or, you know, in, in, uh, in playoffs or World Series. But the stadium was open, you know, uh, from, you know, mid-January to, to when the Pirates played. And there was no way that the Steelers could have stopped, you know, someone coming in and renting the stadium from the, the city and county that owned it, Three Rivers. You know, uh, they wouldn't have any excuse not to do that. So they actually, you know, tried to prevent the team from coming in, but uh, that wasn't a case they could win. So the the USFL played in a lot of you know stadiums that were uh, stadiums that also had um, you know uh, other like in Philadelphia or in you know that had other Baltimore that had other NFL and or MLB teams. But but there was real controversy though, right? I guess uh, especially amongst uh, football insiders in the NFL, I guess in particular about this. Even though there was sort of this, uh, you know, distanced, uh, walled off, you know, DeBartolo senior assets and junior assets, the, the reality is that the de facto understanding, right, was essentially this was um, a, a bit of a head scratcher ownership for a USFL franchise because, in essence, there was essentially an NFL owner somewhat in the mix, right? And I yeah, got, yeah, and you know, alarm bells somewhere along the yeah. way. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, it was protected enough legally that, you know, I mean, look at today, Tim. I mean, you know, if you'd have told me 10 years ago that the, the announcers on games would be talking about betting lines, you know, they would be saying, well, you know, the Rams are ahead by three, the point, you know, three. And, and that's because, you know, uh, gambling has been so, um, you know, introduced from a sponsorship standpoint and a funding standpoint, uh, you know, into the NFL. It's it's. I, I get a big kick out of hearing, you know, Romo and, and Nance talk about what the line is on a game during a game. That would have never happened 10 years ago. So, you know, things just evolve over time. I don't think it's a case that, you know, the NFL teams know they could win. I They did seem to fight it with, uh, you know, with the DeBartolos. Um, you know, Mr. DeBartolo was uh, 
well known for doing things when he wanted to, you know, do things the way he wanted to do things. So there wasn't, there wasn't a battle. I mean, we, you know, we, I actually worked on some 49er projects. So, you know, for some of us, it was, it was kind of a, you know, a, a, a thin veil, you know, between the two, but, you know, uh, you know, I guess it wasn't around long enough to make, you know, that big of a deal. And it's only coming around again, I think, you know, because of, uh, of the spring ball. And of course they have their own, you know, TV contract, right. With Fox and, you know, it'd be really interesting to see, you know, there's seems to be an insatiable ap- appetite and, you know, I'm, I'm reading Bino Cook's, um, book right now. They, 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 they published a, uh, autobiography of him, of his, uh, posthumously, uh, it's called, uh, haven't they suffered enough? And, you know, he, he always said that, you know, the betting line drove everything. And when we had an indoor soccer team, he said, we will make it once there's a betting line on indoor soccer games. So, you know, gambling, you know, drives everything, and, but never more so, it, you know, it doesn't have to be um, hidden anymore. It's, it's very transparent with all the money that's, that's coming from gaming into, into the major leagues. Well, so what, what do you remember of uh, the lead up to, uh, to this franchise sort of uh, uh, coming into the market uh, from, uh, DeBartolo's uh, interest and um, uh, n- no room for uh, suggestion. He was uh, gung ho about doing it. This was this was in the second year of the USFL, which was already starting to show some cracks, but was certainly uh, adding some franchises already. Right, which is right, right. Hindsight, well, the right? Thing we, uh, we, uh, signal, uh, right but... we came up, I think, with an ingenious uh, theme, which was be a part of Pittsburgh sports history and. It was a thinly veiled threat that if you didn't buy season tickets now, you would be like trying, you know, what the Steelers, you know, were from the standpoint of, you know, the long waiting list for Steelers season tickets, right? So we, um, you know, and, you know, people were very curious about it. Plus, we we had the luck, I guess. I don't know if it was designed this way, um, that, you know, Cliff Stout, who was the clipboard, you know, quarterback behind Terry Bradshaw, he signed with Birmingham, and when you know our first home game is with Birmingham. So we sold that game out, and, um, you know, um, we just we just powered on. I mean, you know, you, you know when you work, you know, uh, on a sports team, uh, anybody will tell you that there's two seasons. There's the offseason and there's the season, and when you're in the season, you're in, you're in, you know, you're in battlefront mode. You're just dealing with, you know, the next set of variables that are coming, you know, at you, but you know, um, for me, it was it was it was painful because my uncle, who I was very close to, you know, the chief who who founded the Steelers, he he even told me, you know, that he felt like Mr. DeBarlow had stuck a knife in his back because, <clears throat> you know, the DeBarlows could not get into baseball right there in Chicago. He tried to buy the White Sox. Right. And uh, Bowie Kuhn kept him from buying the team because of the alleged gambling ties on racetracks. You know, Youngstown was known maybe as a mob town. Well, <clears throat> when it came around to the NFL, you know, my uncle Art, so he said, you know, really went to bat for Mr. DeBarlow, who he knew from the racing business because my family owned racetracks too, and they did a lot of business. In fact, one of DeBarlow's first malls was called the Randall Park Mall, and Randall Park was a racetrack, my uncle Art owned in Cleveland, that he sold to DeBartolo. So, um, so that was a little bit awkward, but you know, um, well, but, it came and went so your, fast. Your uncle Art Rooney, though, was he, he essentially, uh, if you will, brought DeBartolo into the NFL, right? I mean, he's he did. He okay. uh, well, he he said he was 
his patron, yes, that, you know, there was trouble uh, with baseball, right, trying to buy the White Sox. And, uh, and Mr. DeBarlow was in Chicago with uh, a racetrack there called Balmora Park at the time. So, you know, he, you know, he, of course, the Barlows were everywhere. But, yeah, so he felt like he brought them in. And, um, you know, this is my uncle speaking, that he felt like, you know, that he got stabbed in the back by the thing. But, you know, with Mr. DeBarlow, everything was just sort of, uh, you know, business. But, you know, this is, um, you know, um, when he finally sold, you know, uh, the arena rights and the Penguins, after they had won their first cup going into the second one, he, he made some remark about how much money he had lost, you know, doing everything overall. And I always wondered that, you know, 11 million of that was a throwaway on the Maulers, right? That, that was the expansion fee and the losses from the first year. And, you know, we were never brave enough to say, Mr. D, we told you so, but, you know, clearly we told you so. So uh, he was smart enough to get out, you know, um, you know, um, when, when they, when they, and then of course they, they won, as I said, they won loss, you know, the, the, um, the, the lawsuit that was, that was geared toward, you know, you know, uh, keeping them out of uh, the playing in the fall. But, but the judge ruled that they only sued in order to win the antitrust suit. And he said, you win. And by the way, here's a dollar for your judgment, but it was trebled. He got $3. Yeah. Famously and, uh, and infamously. Uh, tell me, um, so tell me what you were doing uh, in those days of, of getting this franchise up and running from scratch. It's uh, from what you write in in um, in the Three Rivers book. I it's clear that there was obviously some borrowing and shifting of resources from other uh, DeBartolo teams. Oh yeah, well teams, I was right? uh, I, w- I was VP of marketing, so I came up with the advertising campaigns, and you know um, I was responsible. Tim Pearson, who was our um, you know, VP uh, of marketing for the Maulers themselves. We, we developed all the ticketing campaigns. I worked uh, with a fellow named Bill Strong on all the sponsorships. You know, we went after all the people who weren't Steelers sponsors. If you were, if a Steelers sponsor was one bank, we went after another bank. If one was Coke, we went after Pepsi. If one was Bud, we went after Miller. You know, there were a lot of people who uh, were left out, you know, by the exclusive contracts that, that any sports team would do. And so it was actually kind of uh, easy pickings from, from that standpoint. I'll tell you a story, though, um, that I, I didn't put in the book, I don't think, uh, about that just sort of illuminates what, how crazy the year was. We, uh, we gave away a car every game uh, through a sponsorship with a major manufacturer. I think it might have been Chrysler or Dodge. And, um, the, uh, you know, we would, we would call the winner. And by law, people had to be able to mail in uh, you know, they didn't have to be in attendance. They could mail in their, um, you know, tickets to participate. Well, we, uh, we, we pulled a winner. The person didn't come forward. But one of the security guards who doubled as a guard at the Western Penitentiary said, I know that guy. He's serving life at the Western Pen, you know, for murder. So we actually, uh, the, the, we, they actually sold the car and gave the, uh, they gave the money to, I think, you know, the survivors, but that was sort of, you know, that sort of is, is sort of a testimony or, or a microcosm of what happened in that crazy season. But I was at every game. We did all the marketing sponsorships. We, we traded it like, you know, it was a, it was the penguins. And, uh, but you know, the sad thing about it is that we had a full staff. We had coaches and sales reps and uh, sponsorship people, all the people that work for us, 
you know, they were, um, they came to work for us and it was for, it was just for one year. So that's what I feel mostly, uh, and coaches think about the number of coaches and scouts that lost their jobs across the USFL when, when the league, you know, kind of came and went. How about, um, oh geez, I guess so many different directions. Let's talk about three rivers for a second, right? Cause you're mentioning facilities, uh, a bunch of facilities in the USFL that were multi-purpose. Uh, I cannot imagine that the Pirates were thrilled with having uh, a tenant for now a portion of their season that they uh, used to think that was uh, all theirs. Yeah, well, you know, artificial surface, so it wasn't hard to convert, you know. Um, and in September, of course, in August, the Steelers would be playing preseason, then regular season games. So there was some bleed over, you know, um, with uh, with baseball. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't recall that they, you know, had, uh, you know, much to gripe about because I mean, you know, we would, you know, the only Mauler schedule would have been, you know, matched against the pirate schedule, but in those days, you know, the conversion on an artificial surface wasn't really hard to do at all. So, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, you know, um, you know, that, uh, much of a burden, uh, for them. It, maybe we impacted them on sales because we, you know, we did so well early. Um, I don't know how we would have done if we would have continued. Um, but, um, you know, we didn't have a very good team. I think, what, were we 3-13 and 13 or something like that? Or, I mean, you know, it wasn't, the, it wasn't a very the, good team. vaunted uh, Washington Federals that year for the uh, worst record in the league. Oh, that's right. And I remember, uh, I'll never forget going, you know, the Washington team was, uh, you know, we, you know, I, I didn't really – so the next, so when the mall was folded, somehow for that third year, and I'm still not sure how, we ended up working with the Baltimore Stars. And the reason is we had a farm, our Penguin Farm Club was in Baltimore, uh, the Skipjacks. And so that was another team that I oversaw and that we did the marketing for. And somehow we ended up, you know, with the Baltimore Stars. But the, the Baltimore Stars were a team that, uh, played in DC because they played in college park and they, and they, uh, and they practiced in Philadelphia because they were still under the lease in Philadelphia to use that stadium. So they were, they were the, and so the only championship team I think I ever worked for <laughs> with a, with a Baltimore stars. And for a year after I still had the USFL trophy riding around in my trunk <laughs> because we were using it for commercials. And I think some, I think, I don't know who called somebody, you know, called and, you know, wanted to know if I still had the, the trophy. And I, I looked and among all the soccer balls, because I was also a soccer coach, you know, there was the USFL trophy at the bottom of the trunk. <laughs> and nobody seemed to mind uh, if, are you borrowing it for that period of time? No. Well, yeah, we borrowed it for TV to use the TV commercials. So, you know, uh, but, um, you know, it's just, you know, just, you know, what, what, a what a league that, you know, um, you know, what a, what a disaster. I mean, you know, probably hundreds of millions of dollars that were, that were lost. And again, I think it, you know, when they went into the meeting there in Chicago to vote, whether they would stay in the fall or, or, or keep in the, or stay in the spring and go in the fall, you know, there were only two guys, Chicago and, 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 and New Jersey, our, our ex-president who, um, who, who wanted to, to go, head to head. But the problem was they had a disproportionate weight with the markets they had and Jersey had Herschel. So, I mean, they called the tune, you know, um, 
you know, everybody sort of folded under the, under, you know, everybody was browbeat by, you know, by those guys. Well, well, tell me, tell me how this team kind of, uh, uh, fared i guess in the marketplace right you're mentioning the first game obviously curiosity a sellout crowd at sure. rivers but um i ha, for, first of all how much time did you have from when DeBartolo said we're a go and we're in to opening day right which was uh when early in the spring it would have been yeah that would have probably been in february probably we yeah. were given the team you know, um, this is a while back now, right? So it would have been at the end of the first, you know, USFL season, which would have been in July, maybe, or June when the, when the season ended, you know, cause it went from, you know, spring to, uh, or winter for, to, to, uh, late spring. So it would have been about that time. So, you know, we probably had about seven months, but, but we already had, um, you know, an organization in place from the standpoint of, you know, ticketing and sponsorship, but and it was something that from a management standpoint, we took on, you know, and then hired staff to support it. So it wasn't like doing it in a vacuum. You know what I mean? We were probably uh, better geared to do it than maybe some would because we just sort of used, you know, the same strategies or the same media partners, the same ticketing programs, even some of the salespeople, you know, um, you know, were, were because we had the soccer team too. So we were, you know, we had a lot of people working for us. So it wasn't as, you know, as a, a big of a lift. I remember though, you know, we, uh, in early, you know, there was a restaurant in a, in a hotel that's, that, that was called the, uh, the Carlton. It was called the Ruddy Duck. And, um, we would go down there almost every day after our regular work day to sort of work on the maulers and, and usually a couple drinks into it. Right. But I remember um, our, um, our general manager, you know, projecting that, you know, we thought we would be a 500 team, but if we went and got Mike Rozier, you know, that we would be a playoff team. And, you know, um, I felt bad for Mike because he was hurt when he came, you know, he had a decent NFL career, but he didn't have a Heisman trophy NFL career. Right. That you, that you think about, but um, it was, uh, it went off the rails, you know, um, pretty quickly. We also had a coach that was, you know, a first time ever head coach and, and a young guy. And um, he just, I think he just kind of folded under the pressure. So, um, you know, Mr. DeBartolo, he was a, you know, he was your, uh, he was your, oh, I would say typical sort of hot-blooded um, Italian, you know, very, uh, his very way. loud and very, very opinionated. <laughs> yeah, his way of the highway, I'm sure, right? I mean, I. You... Well, yeah, I mean, he was very passionate. I loved the man. I thought he was great. I, I, I had a great relationship with him. I, I mean, he, he was a, he was a, you know, he was a player, he called himself. You know, he was a. He was a he was a gamble. You know, you build them all. That's a gamble, right? Uh, you build a race truck. That's a gamble. But you know, he was. I think what happened was he realized that was his idea, and there's no way we could, you know, start saying, "Well, Mr. D, we told you this. You know, this wasn't going to work." Uh, but um, you know, if we still wanted to be working the next day, you know, so uh, and well, we had you, you, know, you the, actually had, you actually mentioned in your article, right, that uh, even the naming of the team, right, was. 
you guys did oh, that was through all the all the all the you know the 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 hurdles and the and the the, the perfunctory uh, efforts to you know name it and see what the fans might be and name your team contest and he was like not nope, Maulers that's it right yeah it was it and then he let us go through the charade of a naming rights where we you know uh, picked five or six names we had to guarantee that the Maulers would be one of them and then he would pick the name we had sold the sponsorship to Burger King for the name the. Uh, you know, team contests had rolled out all this stuff. And so I convinced them to let us do it, even though, you know, it was, it was, the logo was already done. Everything was just totally predetermined, you know? Um, uh, but, you know, he, you know, he, he fancied the idea of promoting, you know, owning the malls, you know, and, and owning the 49ers, I know for the Devara corporation, you know, when he, when they would go in and pitch to do a mall in a certain, you know, area of the country, um, and, you know, they might be competing with somebody else to be the developer, you know, they could say, how would you like to go to the Super Bowl? How'd you like to go into the locker room? You know, that the 49ers were a tremendous sales toll for the, uh, for the DeBarlos. And, um, so, you know, they, um, they, 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 and of course they were very, very successful. They, that wasn't a very good franchise, you know, when, when, when Eddie Jr., you know, took it on. Um, I don't think they had won much at all. I don't think they had ever been to a Super Bowl. Um, and, of course, they would win five. You know, they would be kind of the team of the 80s, I guess, you know, and, and do very, very well. All right, what's this? LinkedIn Jobs. Hey, These days, it can be hard to find and hire the right candidates for your small business. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs made it easier to find the people that you want to talk to faster and for free. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Holy mackerel. I added that part. Focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience and use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified. Then use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash good seats. That's linkedin.com slash good seats to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to our conversation. One thing that strikes me is that um, you, you mentioned early on that um, you were quite successful uh, in the season ticket drive uh, early on uh, for the for the inaugural quote unquote season, um, but uh, it's it's startling to look at the statistics in in raw numbers. Um, see that first home game, which was the third by then the third regular season game, a sellout of over fifty three, almost fifty four thousand in Three River Stadium. Um, you know, and not an uncompetitive team. I mean, you, the first game was a loss by four points. The second game away to uh, the Panthers of Michigan was a, a three-point loss. So you were clearly coming into that game competitive. And and obviously with Cliff Stout, you know, the uh, former Pittsburgh backup, right, it's certainly a named, uh, a known entity, right? But 
Uh, to see the drop off uh, from that sellout, I mean, the next game, literally two weeks later, was ha- not even half of that twenty four thousand. Right, and no, it didn't get any better so, from there, did it? No. Well, what happened is, you know, those those counts were, if I remember correctly, actual tens. I mean, people bought season tickets and didn't use them. Uh, I'll, my uh, one of my memories is when we had Herschel Walker come in. Um, we thought this is a really big gate attraction. You know, we, um, we, we sold a lot of tickets. It was Easter Sunday, and it was raining. And I was standing down by the gates of Three Rivers on the inside, you know, um, not getting wet, but people were coming. They were coming in, getting a program, and turning around and leaving. You know, because they wanted the program, right? You know, the the memorabilia, uh, you know, uh, folks, right? The people that collect that stuff, right? They came in and hundreds of people were buying a program and turning around and leaving. And so, yeah, uh, and the season tickets were not that, you know, not that dear. So people took a flyer on it. And then, you know, it's like anything else, you know, Yogi Bear used to say about um, a restaurant, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded in this case. You know, um, the, the the crowd came for the first game, and and nobody went there anymore because nobody's going there anymore. You know, they, it all sort of you know um, you know fed on that. So, and then you know the Pirates were pretty good. You know, they had won the World Championship in '79, and they they still had the remnants of the team. And you know, people just you know they just you know Pitt had great teams in the Big East at that time, and you know people just. They just, you know, they just forgot about it. They dismissed it. I think we did research, and I think we thought we could sell maybe twelve or 14,000, maybe a little more than half of the season tickets the following year. But, you know, we never we never really got there. So, When, when did you start to worry about things uh, generally? I mean, by, by that Easter game and only 14,000 or so officially attending that game, which I think, uh, ironically, was the lowest attended game of the season, um, you know, that being on national ABC television back when ABC was kind of a thing or made, you know. And, and, that, was, and that, was, that was part of it, too. The game, I forgot the game was on national TV and it was raining. But, and again, those were, I mean, that didn't represent the number of tickets sold. But, you know, uh, you have a real problem when you've got, you know, that, that percentage of no-shows. But I think it was a combination of Easter Sunday, the rain, the game was on TV, you know, uh, but it's amazing how many people came through. I, I, you know, again, when you're running a sports franchise, you know, you're sort of just, you know, if you're, you're sort of a general in the field in a battle, you're just, you wake up the next day and you're just dealing with the, you know, the next issue that comes, you know, we, um, I mean, we always thought there would be a, a second or a third season and we, you know, we would have dealt with it, you know, accordingly, but, um, you know, we were, and when that meeting happened in Chicago, for the vote about whether to stay in the, in the winter or, 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 you know, try to compete in the fall, you know, uh, that, that was really a shock to all of us because, you know, straw poll of the owners thought, you know, that we talked to all thought that, you know, they should stay, you know, where they were, you know, in the spring. But of course, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the two most, you know, if, if, if our New York owner said, you know, I'm going to take my ball home, you know, I'm going to take my ball and go home and, you know, and the game's over. That's essentially what you know he threatened to do. So, so, so walk, walk me walk me through that sort of that that situation, right? So, so obviously the the, the season was not a rousing success on the field. The, the the average attendance actually was, you know, in the low twenty thousands or so, which is 
respectable, right, for a quote-unquote expansion franchise, even though the league itself was only two years old, right? And 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 the and you were, the team was relatively competitive, being on the losing end of of more than its fair share of games. So you know, and seemed like there was a commitment, right? I think there was even going to be a new uh, head coach coming in from uh, from Green Bay. So what's happening in the off season, and, and how does the, um, how does the how does that vote sort of influence the decision not to play in the spring of 85? Was it assumed to be once that vote happens that it would just be a lame duck exercise that wouldn't be worth it for anybody? Cause there would be no 86 season. Cause they, they're not going to go into the, in the fall or why wouldn't you go at least go through that process of playing an 85 season in the spring and figure out maybe some value for the franchise to go elsewhere. Perhaps. I, I think that, that it was, more of a legal play than anything else to to try to catch, you know, the NFL in, you know, an antitrust situation. So if they'd have gone into the fall, you know, they'd have gone head to head at the very same time with the NFL teams having to, you know, that would have never worked because the teams practice on their own field, right? Well, so that, you certainly know, in Pittsburgh. No, I understand that. But I'm just, I'm just wondering on, on the springs, 85 was still going to be a spring season before – the jump to right. I was just wondering why maybe Pittsburgh wouldn't. Well, I think I think because the by then they had. I think they had already gotten their ruling on the on the lawsuit. You know the uh, the antitrust suit because the antitrust suit was you know supposedly to blow everything open. You know, um, and once they they knew they couldn't win that suit, they was just you know they just decided you know. Um, you know, to roll it. And I think people had had enough losses at, you know, at, at that time. And they just, you know, um, uh, who knows, you know, uh, I, I certainly wasn't around for the start of the USFL, although again, I under, I, I saw it as an opportunity for it being a development league because I knew that NFL Europe was, was really struggling. Um, and I thought the league could use a development league. Uh, Cause unlike, you know, um, you know, let's say, hockey or or basketball you know you 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 know can't have 18 year old kids you know come right out of high school and play you know football they're not physically ready yet so a development league would have made some sense and by the way this is what this new USFL still could be you know it's you know it's gonna it's gonna develop um coaches and players and scouts and and personnel so it's going to be a a good opportunity although it's weird because right they're playing all their games in Birmingham this is like the uh this is like the penitentiary football team right they play all home games you know um, they're they're talking I mean they're saying that by year two or certainly by three they will domicile in their respective cities you know I, I I'm hugely skeptical about all this for various reasons um but you know, let's let's play it out for a second. I mean, you know, you're the native. Um, how do you think a Pittsburgh franchise plays out in Pittsburgh? I mean, do they play in Heinz Field and, and sixty thousand seats? And uh, is well, it, is ostensibly, it... ostensibly they could. Remember these these stadiums, um, be, if they're publicly funded, are owned by you know, governmental authorities, you know, like in our case, it's the sports and exhibition authority. Now they sublease the management of the, these purpose built stadiums like PNC park and Heinz field, you know, to the operating team. So it would be interesting, you know, to see, cause I mean, there is there, you know, we do a lot of concerts at Heinz field in, in June, July and August, but we certainly don't do them, 
you know, before then. So there really isn't anything at Heinz from, you know, the end of, uh, you know, the football season until, you know, probably at least, you know, June 1st. So ostensibly, you know, um, you know, it might work. And um, again, if it's seen as a development league, it's, it's possible that, um, that, 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 these te- that these teams, this league could be embraced as a way to, you know, to, to, um, to, to get, um, you know, get these, you know, players more defined and refined. Because right now, you know, there isn't, you know, there is no NFL Europe and I don't think Canadian football is doing very well. So, you know, where do these people, you know, where do these young folks, you know, you know, get the opportunity to play. So uh, I guess, uh, I mean, this is largely a TV play. I mean, right. I mean, it's, I mean, stadiums and arenas, we work on them all over the country in our business, you know, uh, they're getting smaller, not larger. I mean, you can't beat 5G at home to watch a game, right? Um, you know, why would you pay $10 for a beer or $13 for a beer you went, when you can sit in your man cave and watch it? I mean, I think that's where we're headed, you know, for the sports to be much more of a broadcast, you know, experience than e- even though the, the, the scoreboards at the stadiums or the video boards are just, just outstanding. I was so impressed Monday night, you know, because typically in Pittsburgh, you know, a Monday night game, you know, is going to have, you know, the lowest attendance uh, of the year. The Steelers are sold out, but the lowest, you know, drop count, the number of people come through. And you add in the fact that it was January, right? But, of course, it was Ben's, you know, um, farewell. And I understand the secondary market, the tickets in the upper decks were going for $200 a piece. So that was uh, that was a real – that's a great tribute, I think, to uh, to Ben. So uh, I don't know what to see how it plays out. I, you know, um, there is still, you know, there aren't, you know, people, you know, you know, I I think especially hockey and and basketball are still relatively niche sports to to football and baseball. And, you know, I mean, it'll be a, you know, there'll be, there'll be a opportunity for people to, to watch something else other than golf on, you know, or, or hockey or basketball in the, you know, in the spring. It's interesting to me looking at the eight eight uh, uh, franchise names that were uh, picked out of uh, uh, the ether to uh, be uh, reincarnated. Um, you know, I, of those, I mean, I see most of them are teams that had some level of success and arguably had some level of popularity, right? So the Tampa Bay Bandits, for sure. Houston Gamblers were popular. Birmingham Stallions. You know, the New Jersey Generals, for various reasons. The Michigan Panthers won a championship, and the Stars won a, a two of those other championships, right? How much nostalgia is there for the Pittsburgh Maulers? Let's be frank. Yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, obviously, Pittsburgh, you know, and football, you know, are, uh, you know, synonymous. I, I still think it could be the logo. You know, I still... I see people walking around Pittsburgh with Mahler shirts and they look relatively new and you can buy them in the store here because the, the, the trademarks went into public domain, you know, so you didn't have any licensing issues and, you know, it was, it's a very popular uh, logo. I, I would be uh, very um, skeptical that, that a team would come back in here. You know, our winners here are pretty brutal. And I, I just I think I would be very skeptical that a team would uh, that that would be one of the teams that would come here. So anyway, um, we'll see. But, you know, Pittsburgh sounds like football, right? You know, so maybe that gives it, uh, you know, some credibility in that. And from that standpoint, 
Yeah, I think so. I just, you know, I, I, I just don't know. I, I, I have a hard time. And look, the XFL is coming back next year, right? Again. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and, yeah. and I think that, you know, until things collapsed with the, with their, you know, pulling the plug via COVID and stuff, XFL, you know, in a, a couple of markets, I thought was really punching above its weight. And yeah, you know, this does yeah. not feel like that to me. If, um, if the the uh, the guts of this entity uh, is really the Spring League, which has essentially been a pay for play, you know, kind of last chance you uh, scenario for players who you know want to have a couple of looks for a couple of months and maybe you know get onto a taxi squad or or and then some, right? So, I, you know, the, the cynic in me is, and look, you're you're talking to somebody who's endlessly fascinated with all these teams and leagues that aren't around anymore and, and you know, <laughs> benefits, frankly, from this stuff coming back, right? Because people talk about it more and want to listen more and talk about it more. It's great. But um, right now it feels like it's slapping on some logos to something that supposedly is supposed to start in a couple of months and only has five head coaches uh, and uh, and no rosters, right? So, you know, we, we've seen this story before, right? And not just football, I think you need to look at it through the context of this is really a 10-segment Netflix series. That's what this is. You know what I mean? This is TV programming. Um, you know, this is studio football. Um, you know, I don't know how many people are going to, you know, keep showing up in Birmingham. I mean, how many games could you go to down there? So, I mean, this is all about content, just all about content. And, you know, and, and, you know, what can be delivered and, and, you know, competing for that. So uh, I think that's, that's the gist of this. This is, this is like watching, you know, a series on Netflix. So the one, the one I, that's a, it's a, an astute. although it has a line, see, if it, if it has a line, which it will, cause it's football, that'll be a whole different element to it. If it has, you know, a betting component, so, sure, you know, people sure. bet on anything. Yeah, yep. and and I think that that's a, those are two astute points, right? But I um, what I worry though, of course, is about the players, and you know they're always the last ones, sort of on the totem pole, the first ones to get hurt. Even even with well thought out, you know, intentions like the AAF did, right? To have them being part of the ownership kind of thing and having bonus structures and all that kind of stuff, all the right things, right? And even that, you know, for various reasons, sort of. So, you know, I, I, I want to be hopeful. I don't think I'm even cautiously optimistic. I think I'm just cautious generally. But, you know, will I watch? Sure. You know, I, because I'm interested, I'm curious. Um, it's hard not to look at, at at new stuff like this, just like I did with the AAF and the second coming of the XFL and the first coming of the XFL, for that matter. Um, but, you know, I, um, you want to talk about betting lines. I, I, let's let's talk about how long this league lasts. I don't know. I'll probably take the under, frankly. But you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I think you're probably right. You know, there is there. You know, there's um, there there is probably enough availability of of, of players and coaches. There's you know uh, there's you know there's there's you know how many Division one colleges are playing you know 130 or 140 are playing you know uh, football. So there's, you know, there's, there's certainly inventory and if it's, I guess if it's competitive, you know, it, 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 you know, it might be interesting to, you know, to watch, but um, yeah, uh, I don't, uh, I think, but if we're looking at this, you know, trying to compare it to one of the older leagues, we're in a different, we're in a different era when you consider the two major things, which is, you know, the proliferation of 
of you know of of, of uh, you know paid television, um, you know networks like Amazon and Netflix and others, and gambling, which you know used to be you know something that was whispered and now is is you know something that is you know brought way out into the open. So those are uh, those are the things you know, fueling this. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in this era of those two things of the, the drive to create content in the insatiable appetite of, of people who own, you know, um, channels to, to provide, to get content, exclusive content, and then, you know, for, for people to, to, uh, to bet on it. You can bet, you know, <laughs> no pun intended that, you know, the, the largest, you know, the betting uh, entities that are out there. I mean, they're, they'll be all over this thing because it's just going to be, you know, more more stuff for them to throw lines over. Yeah, there's a sucker born every minute, I guess. So, all right. So yeah, probably. Probably. I thought you sort of hinted at it, but uh, I, I guess I'll just ask for the definitive answer. If the USFL had stayed in the spring, number one, do you think it would still be sort of around and or do you think it certainly would have had a little bit of a longer life and, and, and built its niche for itself. And then number two, would Pittsburgh still be part of that mix? I think that if it had decided not to compete with players and to be a development league, you know, almost under the umbrella of the uh, NFL, the way NFL Europe was, right? If it had, you know, if it had been satisfied with its own role in that, um, that it could have survived. Um, and even in Pittsburgh, you know, um, th- with the lower expectations of what that, you know, product would be. I mean, Pittsburgh hired, you know, the Steelers, or the Steelers, the Mauler signed a, a Dallas Cowboys quarterback. That was, you know, Steelers fans hate, you know, Pittsburgh fans hated the Cowboys. Glenn Carano was probably, you know, not you know, the greatest selection there. But, yeah, I think if it, if it, if it said to itself, we'll be a development league, you know, we're uh, unlike having to go over to the pond. We'll be here. This will be much easier to do. And you know, we'll stay in the spring. Maybe we'll do a a ten or twelve week schedule. We don't need to play eighteen weeks. You know, we'll pick the prime times to do it. Um, yeah, I think it it it, it could have stayed. It, it could still be here. Well, there, well, there you go. What what other podcast will you get a Glenn Carano reference? <laughs> yeah, I mentioned yeah. than this one. Um, <laughs> Tom, this, is, this has been great. What, what are you up to these days and, and um, any lessons from your USFL experience or have you tried to bury them and keep them buried? No. Well, I, you know, we do, we do venue development. Um, recently we worked on Robert Morris's uh, new arena here for their basketball team. We've done work all over the country for new arenas and um, music uh, venues, a lot of music stuff. Cause that's one of my uh, primary things. I, I think, you know, what I always tell people um, when they come to an idea, and I had a call today with somebody that was new, I said, you don't make your niche, you find your niche. And that's what's critical for something like, you know, a, a spring league. Okay, the time, that, there's a niche there, right? That makes sense. But what are you going to be? You're, you, you know, you're not going to be able to go head-to-head with, with the NFL and compete for players. But you could be, you know, um, you could be a development league. You could be the, a triple-A. You know, think about it, you know. I think the NBA has done a good job now with, um, you know, um, with, with their minor league. Um, yeah, G League. You know, the G League. Because I think they, you know, they're bringing their teams, a lot of them are coming into their own marketplaces because they're not even looking at, you know, 
you know, trying to develop them as, as a, a business that supports itself, they're looking at strictly as developmental. So, you know, um, uh, uh, and we've, we've worked on a number of, uh, like in DC, we, we worked, uh, they have a, they have a, a G league team. We worked on the arena there. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, if, if, if you look at that, you, you think of it as strictly a line item on your expense sheet for development. And I think that's what, you know, um, uh, you know, it, it, the, the, these elites should look at what their niche is and not try to force their way in. You know, they, they tried to do that. They tried to take on the NFL. They weren't the first, they won't be the last. I'm talking about the original USFL, but that's, that's not where, you know, that they, that, you know, that they were going to succeed. They've yeah. been much better, much better being, you know, not so much idealistic and, and, you know, much more, okay, how can we become a part? Imagine if, if they could become a part of the NFL as sort of a development league, a triple A league with a less than schedule, you know, with smaller amount of players, maybe, you know, not even worry. I mean, if you had a team like that, that was Pittsburgh branded, you know, and you played in Heinz field and you played seven or eight games a year, I bet you, and it was still branded. I bet you get 30,000 people game for that, you know, because people would look at that as, you know, it would be low price, right? You're probably talking about a, you know, $20 ticket or something for that. Bring the kids, you know, that sort of a thing. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's the number one thing we preach is, you know, find your niche. Don't try to force it because you might have something that's, you know, starts off well, but it, it's, you know, chances of it having any long standing, uh, you know, uh, benefit probably aren't there. Yeah. Look, I also think too, that there's some, um, you know, there are probably some uh, some parallels here. Say what's going on in basketball, right? So there's there's some you know alternatives now to college that are sort of really yep. pop up, right? And there oh, really yeah. isn't an, an alternative to college football, really. You know, the G yeah. League arguably is a is a is an alternative pathway into the NBA, right? Either right. a little bit of college. Well, or and even in, even in baseball, with the reduction of the number, we do a lot of stuff with with uh, with minor league franchises and you know baseball's moved away from you know one time teams had 13 you know 13 affiliates you know they were they were 13 you know levels of, of baseball you know going way back uh and now baseball has said look you know we're gonna let colleges develop uh this talent for us you know we're gonna have these dream leagues they're basically wooden bat leagues they we've been doing a lot of that lately you know the kids uh, are preserving their um their uh, their uh, ability to go back and play college in the fall, um, you know, they're they're not being paid. They're on their parents, you know, um, you know, medical plans. There's a lot of stuff that's happening in sports that's, you know, um, that's that's evolving that way. So as I said, with the NBA G League, they're sort of bringing these teams back, not thinking of them as their own sort of, you know, mini, you know, franchises that can you know, turn a profit. They're, they're more oriented to how are we going to support, you know, uh, our, uh, our major league team. So football doesn't have that right now. Uh, and that's something I still think it could have. Fantastic. Who knew that uh, we could spend an hour and change talking about a team that lasted barely a year. In the original USFL, we did it. I didn't do it. Tom Rooney did it. He was the guy there. He uh, he was the one regaling in all of it. And um, you can read uh, his chapter uh, about the Maulers, the one-year wonder, 1984, uh, from the uh, awesome book called Three Rivers Stadium. 
a confluence of champions. Uh, he, Tom Rooney, being the uh, part of the Association of Gentlemen Pittsburgh Journalists, uh, the same folks who uh, brought you that awesome book that we featured in a previous episode with our pal Dave Finoli about Pittsburgh's civic arena. Uh, it is published uh, by the History Press. Uh, it is available wherever good books are found. Uh, and one of the best and easiest and most um, helpful and supportive ways uh, is to uh, access uh, the referral link on our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Just search up this episode number 246. My goodness. With Tom Rooney, the one you just heard. And uh, you'll find a nice link, convenient link, an easy link uh, to the book. Uh, you'll be whisked away to Amazon. Uh, you'll save a couple of bucks. Uh, you'll get it to about as fast as you can humanly get it. Uh, you'll get it in Kindle form, paperback form, whatever you want. Uh, and uh, it's just probably the quickest and easiest and uh, most helpful way for you to get it. But, you know, eh, however you want to get it, you want to go to lo your local bookstore or or find it elsewhere, but by all means, but just get the book. You're going to enjoy it, especially if you enjoy uh, reminiscences about not only Three River Stadium, uh, one of those uh, sort of uh, multi-purpose uh, donut-type stadiums. Uh, you either love it or you hated it. Uh, but uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Pittsburgh Steelers and lots of other stuff that happened there in uh, beyond just the uh, magic one year of the Pittsburgh Maulers. Now, it'll be interesting. We'll see how the USFL 2.0 plays out. We'll see what the new version of the Maulers looks like. See if they get a coach. I know they haven't even named that yet. Or, uh, and um, I don't know. We uh, we shall see, shall we say. Follow us on social media. Why don't you? At uh, Good Seats Still. That's where you'll find us on Twitter. Good Seats Still Available. You'll, that's where you'll find us on uh, an Instagram. And at, at Good Seats Still Available on uh, Facebook as well. If you want to send us some email, please do so. We're at hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. And uh, we've got a little weekly email newsletter. Sign up for that on our website. Just tool around there, goodseatsstillavailable.com. You'll find it. Name and uh, email address. That's all we need. And boom, you are uh, uh, immediately uh, put behind the velvet rope and uh, in the with the in crowd, shall we say. Um, what else? Uh, we tip our... Uh, Pittsburgh Maulers uh, purple and orange hat from the Wayback Machine in our general direction, the general direction of our pal Jerry Payne. Uh, Jerry Payne, audio excellence. Thank you, kind sir, for your knob twiddling once again. Appreciate that. And um, I, uh, again, uh, uh, thank you so much for listening, not only this, this far, but uh, all our episodes in the past. And uh, thank you, of course, for rating and reviewing us wherever you can as well as telling your friends about us. We appreciate that, too. Uh, all right, we're going to leave you with a little uh, little, little audio from uh, some of the music that you might have heard on those Pittsburgh Maulers television commercials. Hope this brings back some memories. Take care. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody.